Mark says, and he was transfigured before them. Jesus has taken with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart, an appropriate place to take anyone if you plan on scaring them to death. Then Jesus stands before an unsuspecting Peter, James, and John and metamorphs. Without any announcement or forewarning, it is as if the sun itself moves to shine in Jesus from the inside out. Metamorphosis. Jesus is changed. Even his clothes become radiant. And if this sight isn't stunning enough, the event becomes even more spectacular. Both Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, come and appear and are talking with Jesus the disciples witnessing this are stupefied and they will never be the same. All three gospel writers report on Jesus, uh, all three synoptic gospel writers report on Jesus' transfiguration. Yes, I know there are four gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke all share this account, different versions. But the different way Mark tells this story is striking. Matthew says Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Luke also reports on Jesus' face changing, the appearance changing, and his clothes become dazzling white. Mark also reports the dazzling wardrobe, but interestingly, he does not mention Jesus' face, only he was transfigured. True to Mark's style, we don't get any convincing details about anything, let alone Jesus' cheekbones or jawline or skin color, just he was transfigured. In other words, Mark indicates that even more than Jesus' face changed. I wonder if through Mark's clever editing, he's emphasizing that all of Jesus was transfigured. His face, his hands, his feet, every part of his flesh not covered by his dazzling wardrobe becomes transfigured. It may be that Mark's otherwise hurried tone yet gives us the most comprehensive transfiguration account we have. There are other scriptural accounts of people encountering God and coming away with a little bit of sunburn, a lot of terror. We remember Moses who comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets containing the Ten Commandments. He's unaware that his face is glowing. But when Aaron and all the Israelites see Moses, that the skin of his face is shining, they're afraid to come near him. Luke tells the story in Acts 6 of Stephen's arrest and of how all who sat in the council looked intently at him and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. That is, they're staring at him as though he is an alien from outer space. What else can you do when it dawns on you you've arrested an angel? In Matthew, when the guards at the tomb see the angel descend from heaven, his appearance like lightning and his clothes, again, white as snow, they fall down as though they were dead. 
Jesus' face shines again in the book of Revelation. There he stands before John the Revelator, face shining like the sun with full force. Not only that, but John says his eyes were like flaming fire. What is John's mature response to this? He falls at his feet as though dead. And we understand. Meeting this transfigured, glowing Jesus is a terrifying prospect. Were we to witness this event as Peter, James, and John, we too would likely begin to babble nonsense as Peter did or remain speechless as James and John. The beauty of the Son of God can be terrifying. But today we might do well to ask just why that is. I remember talking with a mentor of mine, John, now a retired pastor, writing his memoirs, and he asked me what I was learning as a pastor. We talked about leadership and times of change and what it's like not merely to preach, but to live into one's preaching. I told him the scariest thing I've ever been, been through was being transformed from one version of myself to another. And his eyes lit up and he said, yes, that's it. That's always it for me. It, it, it didn't, I didn't have a lot of trouble preaching about transformation, but when transformation was threatening me, that's when it got hard. I, I, deep down, I knew myself, I didn't want to be transformed. But that was the hardest thing of all, he said. Letting go of my old self and welcoming the new versions of myself that only God could give me. It's scary, he said, following a God who's changing you. But that's why Jesus takes us up on this high mountain set apart. Jesus knows we human beings need to be swept away from the ordinary in order to see the extraordinary. By taking the disciples up on this holy mountain, he removes all possibility of our being distracted by busyness. For as we moderns know too well, busyness almost guarantees we will not notice God. We pride ourselves on busyness, occupying our time, being productive. I was very productive today. I tell my partner when I come home, very productive. Turn on the television, the radio, open the phone, Spotify, iTunes, podcasts, call a friend, watch the game, read a book, anything, anything whatsoever to avoid the silence and the deep thinking, the time spent in prayer and the introspection that might lead us into a time of self-examination and profound change that might lead us to encounter a terrifying, beautiful, life-changing vision of the living God. Apostle Paul leans in with wide eyes and furrowed brow to say, look, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkly, twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the, the dead will be raised and imperishable and we will all be changed. And then again later, Paul will lean in again to whisper something still more beautiful. 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. In the accounts of the Desert Fathers, those deeply committed to prayer, it was said of Abba Sysos that when he was at the point of death, while the fathers were surrounding him, sitting beside him, his face began to shine like the sun. And Sysos began to see visions. Look, Abba Anthony is coming. A little later he said, Look, the choir of prophets is coming. Again, his countenance shone with brightness, and he said, Look, the choir of apostles is coming. And his countenance increased again and again with brightness. And then the, the old men asked him, With whom are you speaking, Father? Well, he said, Look, the angels are coming to fetch me. And I'm begging them to let me do a little penance. And that's when they all were a little bit confused and a little bit frightened because see, they thought Abba Sysos was just perfect. If anybody had reached perfection in discipleship, it was Abba Sysos. His life of deep prayer and meditation had given rise to great wisdom and they all looked up to him. If anybody had any penance to do, surely it wouldn't be him. They said to him, you have no need to do penance, Father. But the old man with shining face said to them, truly, I, I do not even think I've made a beginning yet. I wonder what, a, what would have happened if instead of Peter talking too much or James and John being so terrified that they couldn't even speak if they had simply gotten down on their knees and looked up at this incredible, terrifying, beautiful sight in awe and, and in prayer. What would have happened when they came down the mountain and encountered the boy with epilepsy? They couldn't heal him. They couldn't cast out the demon in this child that he was had in his body since childhood throwing him to the left and to the right into fireplaces and into ponds and streams. His parents worried sick about him. They couldn't do anything. There was no medicine. There was, they were helpless. And Jesus comes down and they beg Jesus for help. And Jesus says, that they said the disciples couldn't help us. They couldn't heal him. And Jesus gets really mad and he says, all this perverse generation, how much longer do I have to put up with these people? But this is the same story where he says, if you just believe to the Father, he'll be healed. And the Father says, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And, and Jesus cast out this epileptic demon from the child and, and, and stands him on his feet, raises him up. And the disciples are confused. How did you? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus looks at them and says, this kind can only come out with prayer. This transfiguration is a strange 
story, isn't it? Terrifying, beautiful. But I wonder if we who have the benefit of hindsight, if we turn with John, a revelator in prayer, to see whose voice it was that is speaking with him that left him lying down as though dead, if we too won't see one like the Son of Man clothed with long robe and a golden sash across his chest, his head and his hair white as white wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet burnished like bronze, refined as though in a furnace, his voice like the sound of many waters, and his right hand holding seven stars, his mouth a two-edged sword, and his face shining with, the, with bright force like the sun. If we too, having seen and been seen, if we wouldn't be changed again and again, such that in the twinkling of an eye each time, we're given the power to leave our old selves behind and welcome the new selves that God wants to give us that we may be able to speak good news to the brokenhearted and release to the captives to open the eyes of the blind and maybe even to raise the dead.